Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You remember early last week, you and I had a conversation where we look at some numbers. And they, they tell me, uh, at least the smart folks that, uh, you know, the focus group types, they tell me that spouting off numbers here on a talk show, that that's, uh, that's not great radio, but we did it anyway. And what we did was we looked at uh, 2016 polling numbers, compared them to today's polling numbers. Specifically, we looked at where Hillary Clinton stood in 2016 in the various battleground states, compared her position to today's position held by, at least according to the polls, by Joe Biden. And then we thought, all right, how much can we trust today's polls? Because what we discovered was... Hillary Clinton, in many battleground states, was enjoying a, a, a wide lead. All of those states, Donald Trump ended up winning. Joe Biden, in this go-around, is not performing even as well as Hillary Clinton appeared to have been per, uh, performing in those polls of four years ago. So what does that mean? And you, know, you, you, might, you, might, you, might, you might feel the temptation uh, to apply logic to this scenario. But I think if pollsters have taught me anything is that this is not a game of logic and it's luck and everyone is just kind of rolling dice, throwing darts at a board. Or uh, if you are into like the zoo social media, every zoo around the country has like a panda bear that speaks between two bowls of food. One of them is Trump, one of them is Biden. Uh, I'm not sure yet what Hogel has announced as the winner of the, this presidential contest, but polling. Polling. I obsess over it because, you know, it gives me something to do. But in the back of my mind, I always know uh, this could be far, far off. Boyd Matheson uh, joins me now. <laughs> Boyd joins me now, host of Inside Sources, also opinion editor of the Deseret News. And you're like you're like a super like well-connected guy. You know some of these pollsters. I didn't even know they were humans until recently. They are uh, real humans. Yeah. yeah. You, you had a conversation with Scott Rasmussen just this morning about polling. What, what did you learn during that conversation? Yeah, you know, Scott, uh, Scott has such an interesting uh, angle on all of it. He's an independent pollster now, and uh, as he's looking at across the board, uh, things have been pretty steady. The one thing about all of his polling nationally and, and in local races uh, is that it's just, it's just very, very consistent. There's kind of that steady drum beat. Uh, and he really got to the point where he's saying, hey, look, this we may know. We may actually know some things on election night. Come on. Uh, a lot of people are saying, no, it's going to take forever, forever. But, uh, but sort of the canary in the coal mine is going to be Florida, uh, I think, because Florida's actually already started counting their ballots. So there are a little different uh, rules from a lot of other places right. that can collect the ballots, count how many there are, but then they can't open them and get processing until day of. Florida actually has been counting already. So I think Florida, I mean, the president cannot win re-election without Florida. Uh, and so I think that will be a very early indicator in terms of how that night's uh, going to roll out tomorrow. There, if you, like me, are a nerd and do follow these numbers, even with my misgivings, uh, if you follow these numbers, you will have seen over the past number of weeks and months even that Joe Biden has you know, enjoyed some leads that were even well outside the margin of error in not just nationwide polling, which I'd caution you against, you know, putting too much yeah. stock in that. But in the, the battleground states uh, across this country, we were seeing uh, Joe Biden with some with, with a real advantage. Somehow over the past like three or four days, that has narrowed. 
And there is uh, on 24-hour cable news networks and newspapers and, in fact, in talk radio <laughs> programs like my own. Added attention being paid to the polls. Is this some kind of game the pollsters are playing on us, or is there some kind of fundamental shift in the attitude of America's voting Yeah, public? you know, th- things do always tend to tighten towards the end, uh, although I do think we should uh, make a pitch for tomorrow that we should okay. have a donut contest that would actually be the most scientific poll we could take. Uh, I, we even have offers of cream puffs, I think, from oh. the other side of the glass. I'm so, in. Uh, I think that could do it. Uh, but th- but there is a natural tendency to tighten. And the, the reason for the tightening is not that the race is changing, but the partisans are just locking in. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, those who were Biden people all along are just locked in and say, okay, I've cast my vote or I'm, I'm in there. Same thing on the Republican side. And so the, the tightening is more about the partisan, uh, hard Democrats, hard Republicans, uh, than it is whether the race is, is really having a lot of movement. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, fascinating. So we'll see. And again, you know, on the eve of Election Day, uh, I'm just filling time by talking about polls <laughs> tomorrow and in the pursuing weeks. We're going to have actual results. So that'll be fun to follow. <laughs> results and, are a good thing. And much more consequential than polls. <laughs> uh, you, you caught my ear this morning as I was listening to your uh, radio program. You, you offered a monologue in uh, as you wrapped up the program, and it talked about this principle of Praying for the pilot. What were you talking about? Yeah, it was a fascinating thing. Uh, a, a niece of mine uh, had found it. It was in the uh, Davenport, Iowa. Uh, a oh, guy, a guy don't had, tell me. I, I know Davenport. You know Davenport, sure. right? Yeah. It, it's all, uh, we, we read it regularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was Quad a, City Times. It was a, just a, a regular old letter to the editor. Uh, but it was really good. This guy had got on a plane and uh, saw the pilot go in, lock the door, you know, get in there. And then he started wondering about the pilot. You know, is he a good pilot? Is he a bad pilot? Did he uh, drop out of pilot school? Was he the number one rated pilot? Was he the worst pilot? Uh, but then he started thinking, I guess it doesn't really matter because I'm on the plane with the pilot. And so I better hope for the best and pray for the best for the pilot. And because it, when a plane crashes, there there are no winners <laughs> right. uh, at all. And so then he, he likened that to where we are as a country. And, and he even talked about, again, this guy writing to the, uh, the Iowa paper there uh, that, hey, as a nation, you know, whether you wanted Barack Obama or not, whether you wanted Hillary Clinton, whether you wanted Donald Trump, whether you want Joe Biden, in the end, whoever is chosen as the pilot, even if it's and especially if it's not the pilot you would have chosen, you still got to hope for the best because you want that pilot to succeed. And I think the same applies whether you're talking about the pilot of the country as the president, whether it's the pilot of a state as a governor, whether it's a member of Congress, a local mayor or or county council person, uh, we all should pray for the pilot and hope for the best because we're all on this plane together uh, and the division doesn't help us uh, if the plane's going down. Yeah. I observed in the in the early days and months and even first couple of years of the Trump administration, th- that attitude was pervasive. You would see a lot, even from Speaker Pelosi and yeah. others, talking about the office of the presidency and how we all ought to be rooting and pulling for the office of president. We agree or disagree, have voted for or have voted against. And you know, just as you put it, we got to be pulling for the skipper of the ship or the yeah. pilot of the airplane. Yeah. Uh, you, you said something a moment ago. Uh, it doesn't matter if it was the top of the class or uh, the least performing. Reminds me of a joke. Uh, what do you call? What do you call Boyd? Uh, what do you call uh, the person who finishes last in medical school? Probably rich. You call them doctor. Oh, doctor. <laughs> As they there drive away in their Jaguar. <laughs> That's right. That is exactly right. <laughs> Boyd Matheson with Inside Source is also opinion editor of the Deseret News. Uh, you are participating in uh, our super heavy hitting coverage of election night tomorrow, kicking off at 5 p.m. here 
on KSL News Radio. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, boy, thank you for your time today. You Best bet. of luck to you over the next 24 hours we'll take it. or number of weeks, however things shake out. <laughs> It'll be good. And the thing we have to remember, yeah. Wednesday morning will come. Tuesday is right. really important, but it's the first Wednesday of November uh, that actually drives the country. That's the way. Uh, Boyd Matheson, thanks again for your time. We're going to take a, a quick break right now. When we return, uh, I want to have a look at some third-party candidates. Now, every four years, this conversation comes up. What will be the impact of the third-party candidates? Well, there are some arguments to be made this year that the impact will be felt heavier than ever before. We'll find out how true that is next on Live Mike. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.